Well, has God ever spoken to you? I mean, have you heard the voice of God? I'm not sure that many of us would able, be able to say that we've heard God audibly speak to us. But aren't there times we wish he would? But just because we don't hear an audible voice of God doesn't mean that there hasn't been a word from the Lord that has come to us or um, hasn't already been given to us. God will often use his church. Um, he may use a sermon. He may use a, a song of praise, the, the study of his living and active word. He may use the still, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us a, a truth for our life. Maybe that word from the Lord helps you to take the next step of faith that you need to take. I believe last Sunday um, that there were quite a few people that heard a word from the Lord. Wasn't that awesome to see all those baptisms? We had two more during our first service as well, along with Lindsay uh, just a second ago. Man, lots of folks hearing a word from the Lord and being obedient to the step of faith that they've been called to take. A word from the Lord may give you strength to, to hold your tongue or your fist in the midst of a, an anger uh, and a frustration. A word from the Lord may be an overwhelming sense to stop and to care for somebody. Maybe it's a neighbor or somebody that's broken down on the side of the road or somebody that you see is hurting. Now, for myself, there have been three very distinct times that I feel like I heard a word from the Lord. The first time was I was 18 years old, I was in high school, and I'll be honest, most of my joys um, up to that time in life had come through sports and athleticism. Um, I enjoyed playing ball um, and was a part of a, a fairly large high school and had been very successful in the, the sport of football and other sports as well. And uh, I thought for sure God was going to allow me to go play college football. And I thought that was what God had called me to do, um, and I thought, that I, I'm, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to play ball, and, and I'm going to get my degree in teaching because, you know, that's a way to minister to kids. Some of you are teachers in this room, but God had been calling me to a different type of ministry, um, and he had been uh, putting that nudge on my life for, for quite some time, and I'll never forget, I was on my way to a recruiting trip, a college that had been recruiting me to play football for him, and my dad and I were driving up on a Saturday morning. It was crisp and clear beautiful blue skies. And it was almost as if in just a flash of a moment that I realized I'm not supposed to go here. I'm not supposed to go play football any longer. I'm supposed to hang the pads up. It's time to go to Bible college and study to be a minister, to be a preacher. It was just all, all of a sudden, it was like this voice from the Lord, about as close as audibly as it gets, uh, came to me and said, this is what you need to do. The second time I think I heard that voice from the Lord, I was in college. Um, I had uh, met this girl that was a friend of mine. She really was just a friend for the first year of school. We, we hung out a lot with multiple other people and enjoyed our, our time together. But we had spent a summer away from one another. And uh, I, uh, I had called her late in the summer. I was traveling for the college uh, to some Christian camps. And I was in upstate New York. I was sitting on some old wood, wooden steps in the middle of the, the night. It was about well, probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I was talking to, to Aaron, who is now my wife, and I remember uh, the stars in the sky that night were, seemed like they were shining brighter than ever. I remember the conversation we had, and then I remember hanging up the phone, and I thought, I'm going to marry that girl. I hadn't dated her yet. Um, so uh, a couple weeks later, I asked her if she wanted to start dating. When we got back to school, not even a year later, we, we got married. Uh, you know, it, was, it, was, it was really a word from the Lord for me. You know, I think God likes to speak to us in ways like this. And I believe that, that some of you probably have experienced a word from the Lord or a clear direction, a step of faith that, that you need to take. Now, sometimes it's, it's not these big life situations like this, but these were major situations clearly spelled out for me 
A little over three years ago, my wife and I were praying diligently for God to give us a clear answer to the next step we needed to take. Now, we knew God was calling us to ministry. Um, We never imagined that it was going to be in a small town uh, in rural uh, Indiana. Uh, But in separate kind of moments of revelation, God gave Aaron and I a clear direction. Before we ever set foot in Washington, he simply said, go there. You need to go. And we made that step, and we came and partnered with you all in ministry, and we're excited that we get to continue to do that as well. Look, look, God didn't create the earth, set it on its axis, turn it spinning in six days, and then sit back with popcorn and soda in hand and say, well, I'm going to watch it implode now. That's not what God intended, right? God is alive and active, and he has been in pursuit of his beloved creation since the beginning of our rebellion until this very moment. God has spoken through his creation. God has spoken through prophets. He's spoken through humble servants. He's spoken through the Bible. He's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. He's spoken through prayers. He's spoken through preachers. He's spoken through you, his, his people. And God is actively pursuing you and I. And I have no doubt that he has spoken to you, that you have had a word of the Lord come over to you. Maybe you've realized it. Maybe you haven't. But I believe God has challenged, he's encouraged, and he has shaped us by his words. And I believe that some of those have happened right here in this room. Like, there have been people who have made steps of faith because they heard a word from the Lord, they felt the nudge of God, and they took that step, they obeyed it. I think there have been some words that have been denied. And there are others that God is still holding out for you this morning, promises that he is saying, I need you to take this step of faith, and he's still offering it to you. Today we're going to begin this series on the book of Jonah. If you want to turn over there in Jonah with us, you can. We're going to be on page 753 in your Bibles. Now, Jonah, uh, Jonah was a prophet of God, a prophet that eventually ran from God, who interacted with God, and a prophet that we can learn quite a bit from. So we're going to look at Jonah uh, chapter 1, the very first verse. I love how it starts, and this is why we're talking about the word of the Lord. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. All right. So, so Jonah, prophet of God, actually second Kings says this about Jonah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath that God spoke through Jonah, right? He, he was a prophet that God was using to speak truth over people. So it doesn't seem very odd that God would say, hey, Jonah, why don't you go to these people that are wicked people and preach the truth to them? But, but Nineveh, Nineveh was a horrid place. It was a capital of the Assyrian people, um, a capital that, uh, a, a group of people that had been started by a king by the name of Nimrod. Don't name your kid Nimrod, okay? Man, he's going to get made fun of. Gosh. <laughs> Uh, Nimrod actually means we shall rebel. Another reason not to name your kid that, we shall rebel. That would not be a good thing. Uh, But the Assyrian people, they're they're rebellious people. They're living up to their forefather's name. And and they had an overwhelmingly uh, oppressive system. They were extremely oppressive to the Israelite people. And Nineveh was the capital. It was the hub of their rebellion and brokenness. One scholar said this of of these people. He said, the Ninevites were heathen people. They were idolaters. They did not know God. If they possessed any knowledge about the true God, it was both slight and remote. Nineveh was at that time the center of a pagan cult of fertility worship. 
a religion associated with sex. And as a consequence of that sex emphasis in their religion and in their social life, the city became exceedingly corrupt and wicked. So here's this massive city, and in that day it was filled with massive corruption. The people would worship this fertility goddess, and they intertwined it with their political beliefs. And if you did not believe what they believed, they would either destroy you or oppress you until you came along and believed what they believed. If that doesn't help you kind of set the scene, maybe this will. I want to show you a map. This is modern-day Iraq. Okay, it's hard to see, but up at the very top, you see Turkey. Right below that, there's a little small writing. That's Nineveh. Uh, all right, so Nineveh is actually uh, the ruins. On the left side, you see ruins of Nineveh. That's in northern Mosul. All right, you know that name. Mosul, Iraq, been in the news a lot lately. I think that might be why Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, Right? So like Jonah, many of you in this room are a people of God. You've been commissioned to the work of God, and he's using you to represent his glory in the midst of brokenness. So let me ask you this. Let's say that a word of the Lord comes to you, and he says, I want you to go ahead and sell everything you got. I want you to uh, hop on a plane. I want you to head to northern Iraq. Actually, go to Mosul. Um, and, you know, find the ISIS people over there, find the Taliban, uh, gather them all together, and I want you to start preaching to them and preaching a word of repentance. Tell them about Jesus, and I'm guessing that every single one of us would probably do exactly what Jonah did. We would run. (laughs) I think sometimes Jonah gets this bad, like, oh, Jonah, he's such a bad guy. He ran from God, but I'm thinking, man, if we were faced with that same situation, I don't know if we would run into that headlong ourself. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and Jonah ran. It says this in, in John chapter, or Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, Jonah was a prophet in Gathaper. That's the, the middle one on the right side here. So there's the town he, he lived in. Nineveh's pretty close, not too far away from him. I mean, it was a good journey in that day without um, transportation that we have. But, but still, it was, it was a journey up there for him. But instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah, right, he, he heads down towards Joppa. He, he, he finds it's a port city. He, he knows there's boats there. He hops on a boat, and he's like, I'm out of here far west as I can get on this map. We, he goes all the way. He wants to travel over to Tarshish. The dude is, is scared to death. The complete opposite direction. So why does Jonah do this? I mean, he had been, been a mouthpiece for God. God had used him to, to speak to people directly. Um, but but why, why would he run then in the midst of this situation? I think it's simply because he didn't want the people to receive mercy, right? The Ninevites were evil people. They were corrupt. And Jonah's like, I know who God is. I know that our God, this God that I serve, this God that I speak for, I know that he is a a merciful God. And he's calling me to have mercy on the merciless. They've They've been a corrupt place. They've done a lot of bad. They've been oppressive to my people, to God's people. I'm not gonna go tell them about about the love of God. So he runs because he knows who God is. So what might you need to ask yourself this morning? I think there are probably two questions we could ask ourselves. What are you running from and who are you running from? 
right? Like, what are you running from would be, you've probably felt some, some nudges from God, like the, the, the Lord speaking to you. Maybe last weekend, as Matt shared with us, this idea of taking um, the, the loyalty levels, you remember that? Taking steps of, of faith. Maybe there's a step that you need to take, that you need to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a part of the core. I, you know what, I'm, I'm commissioned. I know that I need to, to dive in. I need to start partnering in the ministry. Maybe for some of you, you felt that nudge that, that others have represented by obedience and giving their life over to the Lord in baptism. But for you, you were just like, ah, I'm not sure. Instead of hearing the call and being obedient to the call in your life, you've run the opposite way. Or you've at least just not taken the step. You've stayed still. Remember what we heard last week in James chapter 4? If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. So, so what is it that God's been calling you to do? What are you running from? Or maybe it, it's who are you running from? Um, or better stated, who should you be running to? Like, who has God called you to love? Who's the Ninevites in your, your life? Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36 says it like this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So who is it? That you need to say, you know what? I'm going to put my pride down. I'm going to love them. They're difficult at times for me to love, but I'm going to show them the love of Christ. What happens when we run from God? If you want to turn over to verse 4 and, and Jonah chapter 1, um, but let me, let me warn you before, before we look at this. You're not going to like what you're about to hear. For some, it may even make you mad at God. But remember, God's plan, his purpose will prevail. And remember that his plan includes you, right? Like this book, it, it's, it's made up of 66 different books, right? There's 66 separate books that make up the Bible, but there's one story that, that is proclaimed in this. There's one story of God's pursuit of his beloved creation. That's mankind. That's, that's you. And he is, has a desire to bring you back into a whole and right relationship with him. That's the story of the scripture. I like how Romans 8, verse 28 says it may be familiar to some of you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. But what happens when we run from God? Look over at verse 4. It says this. Then the Lord sent, sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God and threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went down to him, said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity." They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What are your people? Or what people are you? 
He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. God sent the storm. A storm to, that threatened to break up the ship. A storm that was causing some great trouble. But where's Jonah in the midst of the storm, right? Jonah's below deck. He's in the hole of the boat. I think it's because Jonah is like deathly sick, right? You've never been on a boat before. Some of you guys taking cruises, I know that. Or maybe you've even, even worse, you've been out on a small little boat in the midst of a, a big ocean. You felt the waves. And, you know, you're so sick, it feels like your innards are on your outs. Um, and the only thing that makes you feel good if you've ever had motion sickness, right, is like to lay down horizontally and just hope that you can fall asleep. Um, so Jonah is, he's asleep because he's sick, He's asleep because he's running from God. He's asleep because he's trying to sleep away his problems. You can't do that. And he's hoping that the storm will just just go away. So does God make bad things happen to good people? Let's be honest. Let's start here. In the book of Romans, it says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that whole idea of does God make bad things happen to good people? Well, there are no good people. We all are sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all run from God. We've all have, a midst, uh, have been in the midst of rebellion before. God doesn't make bad things happen, though, just because. God sent a storm to Jonah to, to wake him up, to, to remind him of the plan he had for his life, to, to move him in a different direction. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 6, if you uh, were a part of a small group, you've probably just recently studied this, this passage, but it says this, The Lord corrects the people he loves, and he disciplines those he calls his own, right? So God God disciplines us, and sometimes that discipline comes in the form of a storm. You feel like the road you've been walking has been kind of rough lately? You feel like you're in the midst of a storm? Maybe, maybe it's time to start seeing the storm for what it is, a discipline, a reminder to stop running from God and to start searching after him. To see what God might be speaking into your life. You know, I think it's, it's also important to note that, that Jonah's disobedience didn't only affect him, right? Like, it affected the people around him, right? These, these guys that are regular mariners, like, they're the guys that are on the seas all the time. They're scared to death. They're, they're so scared that they're taking their well-being, the cargo that's going to make them money when they port in Tarshish, and they're throwing it off the ship, they're like, ah, we got to get rid of this. We got to get this boat as light as it can be. You get the boat light so it can go over the swells of water. They're trying to get everything off the boat. and They're scared. They're crying out to their, their pagan gods, gods that are not going to answer them. They're full of this fear. And they're saying, please, we have no hope. In the midst of our rebellion, our storms uh, oftentimes cause a ripple effect. So who might your problems, your storms, your disobedience be causing trouble for. Maybe it's like the coworker who's, who's known for years that you attend a church and you say that you're a Christian, but man, the life you've been living hasn't lived up to that. And they're looking at you and they're going, I don't know if I want to have anything to do with, with Christ if, if that's how a Christian, a Christ follower acts. Or maybe it's your spouse. Maybe husbands, they've been dying. Your wife has been dying for you to just lead them lead the family, to show her how, how she should follow after Christ as you follow after Christ. But, but all along, you've been rebelling. Or maybe it's your children. You realize parents, 
We have the greatest impact on our children. Not a youth minister, not a teacher, not a coach, not grandparents. You, mom and dad, you have the greatest impact on your children. Is your storm, your rebellion causing problems for your kids? You see, our disobedience to God will, will not lead to sunshine and roses. Our disobedience will lead to these turbulent situations. So what do we do in the midst of the storm? At some point, I think in the midst of the storm, everybody gets to this place and they're like, okay, I've had enough. I've had enough. I can't deal with it anymore. Um, it's, it's too bad. I, just, I can't do it. And so they either do one of two things. For some, they double down on their rebellion, right? They're like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this God thing. I'm done with all this. I'm just, I'm completely done with it. And so they run farther and farther and farther away from God. And I think in that moment, the adversary rejoices. And I think he might just help to calm the storms a little bit too. You know, it says this of Satan in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. That's kind of scary to think about. To think that Satan has power in this world, and he has the power to maybe calm the storms and make us feel like, hey, everything we're doing is just all right. The storm will rage again, if not in this earth, in the, the world to come. So what must we do? You heard that term. What must we do, right? Last week we were looking at the book of Acts chapter 2. These people that had found out their rebellion had killed the Son of God. What, was, what, what must we do, they asked Peter. And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's some of you in this morning that that's the question you've been asking. What must we do? And that's the step of faith. That's the word from the Lord you need to take. Repent and be baptized. For others who are, have been Christ followers for, for, for a time in their life, but they feel like, you know what, I've fallen away a little bit, or I'm just not, I'm in the midst of a storm right now, and you're going, what, what must I do? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all right, unrighteousness. Like, we need to come to God, and we need to say, Lord, I've got these things. I need to repent of these and I need to turn back to you. We need to stop running from God and start running to him. So so what did Jonah do? In Jonah chapter one, verse 11, it continues on saying this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up Throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm, did you catch that? I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And said the men did their best to to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. You see, I believe that's the moment of surrender. Jonah was a man of God. He had spoken for God. God had used him as his mouthpiece, and here he is. And here's what we can learn from Jonah. Surrender. It's my fault. It's my fault. I've been running from God. Just throw me into the sea. Throw me into the water. So does God make bad things happen? I don't think so. 
I think we make the bad things happen. It's our disobedience that causes the storms. It's simply a byproduct of our rebellion. Throw me into the water. What about you? I mean, I mean, what storms in your life do you need to acknowledge as your own? And you need to surrender over to God. Maybe it's the storm that says, if I just keep trying harder, right? Oh, if I would just be able to get just a little bit stronger in the midst of that conflict, if I would be able to do more good, or, you know, if, 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 I, had, if I had more money, if I had more status, if I could gain more of this, that's when I would be fulfilled. But you've heard a word from the Lord. You know that's not going to bring true fulfillment. You know that your goodness doesn't do that. And it's time to be obedient to Christ. You need to stop running from God, and in just a moment, you need to say, throw me into the water, Right? Let me take that step of faith as well. Let me come into the graces of God by being buried with Christ and being raised to walk a new life. For others, you need to surrender your time. You need to say, you know what? I'm going to commit to partnering in the ministry of Bethany. Or you need to su- surrender your pride. You need to say, I'm going to commit to some humility. Like, I'm going to love that person even though I have every reason not to. I'm going to surrender my pride. I'm going to surrender my energy. I'm going to commit to service. I'm going to surrender my will. I'm going to commit to loving. And Christ put our act of surrender like this in Luke chapter 9. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now, this was before Christ had, had ever went to the cross. All the cross was known for in that day was torture. Take off my cross. Well, man, it's going to be stormy roads at times. But God will, God will see us through those, those moments. Oftentimes, this decision, though, to follow Christ will leave the Holy Spirit at conflict with the human spirit. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 7. I want to encourage you guys, write that down. Read Romans 7. There's a lot to it, um, but, but Paul's talking about this battle that's waging on. And that's, that's the, the spirit in him that is God's spirit in his own human flesh. I like how one author put it like this. There are two natures that beat within my chest. One is foul, one is blessed. The one I love and the other I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. Feed yourself, it's going to be a rocky path. Surrender to God and feed the Spirit. He's going to see you through the storms. You see, God's plan from the very beginning has been life. God created this world with life in mind. He created mankind with life in mind. He created you with life in mind. The creator of the universe, the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the God of gods, the lover of your soul is all about life. Our rebellion, like Jonah, caused the storm. Our sin has wrecked this earth. Domestic violence, rape, cancer, war, disaster, sexual promiscuity, anxiety, depression, lust, everything that is evil, everything that is destructive, everything that leads to death in this world was not God's doing. Our rebellion, our sin caused this. And because we didn't listen to God, we ran from him. You see, God is a God of life. Listen to what it says in verse 17 of that, that, last, that last verse in, in Jonah 1. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. God saved Jonah. Just as God has saved us. Now he sent Jonah a fish, he sent us a savior. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, the Savior, said this, The Son of Man will be in, in, in three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It goes on to say that something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus is the greater Jonah. 
hear this. A word from God came to Jonah. Jesus came as the word of God. Jonah ran from the Lord's presence. Jesus came to bring the Lord's presence. Jonah was a sinner that ran from God. Jesus is a God that runs after sinners. Jonah came as a Hebrew sinner. Jesus came as a Hebrew savior. Jonah slept in the stormy boat because he was overwhelmed. Jesus slept in a stormy boat because he was at peace. Jonah could not command a storm to calm. Jesus commanded the storm to be still and to calm. Jonah was thrown into the sea to appease the wrath of God. Jesus was thrown into the grave, the tomb, to appease the wrath of God. The pagans sought to save Jonah's life. The pagans sought to end Jesus' life. Because Jonah, some were saved from one nation. Because of Jesus, multitudes are saved from every nation. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights. Jonah was thrown into the storm of God's wrath one time. Jesus was thrown into the storm of God's wrath over all time. Jonah needed a savior. Jesus is our savior. There's so much to learn from Jonah. But if we learn one thing, let it be this. God loves his creation. God loves you. And God has been in pursuit of you. And God has been speaking to you. He's been using his people. He's been using this church. He's been using your friends. He's been using songs of praise. He's been using preachers and teachers. And he has a desire that you would come to know life. We want to convince ourselves that something else is going to fill us, don't we? Like, if that relationship, if I only had a better relationship with so-and-so, well, that would fill me. Or if, or if I had more sex, that would fill me. Or, if, or you know what, I'm just going to drink, drink, I'm going to feel better about this. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get hammered drunk. That's going to fill me. Or, you know what, the drug's going to fill me. Or the job's going to fill me. Or the money's going to fill me. Or the status is going to fill me. But nothing will fill you the way Christ can. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the decision is in your court. God has said, here's a word. I want you to know that I'm a God of life. And I want you to come to know that life. This morning, I think there's some of you that need to come and you need to throw yourself over into the water. And you need to take that initial step of faith. I think for others, you need to say, you know what, I need somebody to encourage me. I need some prayer. I need, I need the, the body of believers to be around me. I need to commit to being a part of a small group or partnering in the ministry here. And you need to connect with uh, one of our ministers here. We'll be in the back of the room. Or you need to just come and you need to connect with the Lord at the steps. Whatever decision of faith you have, I don't want you to leave without making that step of faith. And I surely don't want you to be like Jonah and to run from that decision.